check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Throwdown. I am your host, Zach, joined by Connor and Alex. Say hi, guys. Howdy, howdy. Up, what up? All right, we got all three of us are back together now. Connor had a couple weeks off, but it's cool, you know. That life happens and it's Memorial Day weekend, so to everyone listening, happy Memorial Day. Uh, coming out a day later, but regardless, uh, we got some great postseason action going on right now. Uh, before we get into the overview of the show, we want to plug our social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you're checking out those accounts. All on, all of that can be found in the description of this episode, wherever you're listening. So overview of today's episode, we're going to be talking about the conference final uh, updates really quickly, but we're going to be talking about the uh, NBA finals because we have finally reached the NBA finals in this part of the postseason. We also have your what went wrong. We're going to wrap that up this week with two teams that we're pretty familiar with. But let's get started with your biggest basketball news. First of all, uh, this is a very tragic story. Uh, there is a mass shooting that happened in Texas about a week ago. Uh, 21 people died. Uh, 21 people, most of those were students helping at the elementary school in uh, Uvando, Texas. Uh, the NBA reaction was pretty strong. Steve Kerr had a had a huge moment during his press conference. He went on for almost three minutes about uh, gun control, pleading for gun control. And one of the quotes he mentioned is like, we can't get numb to this. Of course, there was a lot of other NBA reactions to LeBron James, Jason Tatum. It felt like the whole league was uh, talking about this moment, as was everybody else. So, guys, um, any thoughts on what the league was saying about what happened? Yeah, I, I think it really shows how the league as a, you know, as an entirety is always at the forefront of all these issues, which I think, um, you know, is a great thing, especially when uh, we look at superstars, you know, like LeBron James and, you know, even the coaches with Steve Kerr, we look at them as like role models as well as like people to you know, just give, you know, support and knowledge, for, you know, have knowledge come from them. So, like, you know, we look at these stars and these big-name athletes as people to help us get through these tough events, you know, especially during, like, you know, 9-11 and Sandy Hook and other similar events like that. Uh, the NBA has kind of always been at the forefront of, uh, pushing uh, to make a political action uh, with any issue. Alex, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, I do love the way the NBA, NBA does handle how they actually utilize their platform and really speak out on matters like this. And, you know, from the stuff Steve Kerr said as well this past week, it's just... It's great to see, especially players too, like LeBron and see on social media, their channels and the stuff then their social media and channels and seeing all the stuff that they're saying about and the way these are athletes that really know how to use social media and they're use the actual platform they're given to speak on matters and try to make a difference and help in any way they can, whether it's making this stuff more public or known or just speaking out on issues. And honestly, it's just a... You know, to switch off from the NBA real quick, it's just a shame what happened in Texas. And I really feel terrible for the families down there and all the kids. It really is just a terrible thing that could have occurred. And 
honestly, when is it going to be? Like, when is this stuff finally going to turn around? <laughs> yeah, that was a really big discussion was like, when is this? When is enough enough? And uh, mm-hmm. that was that was a message that was really echoed, especially with not just the NBA players, but just a lot of like people online was like, when is enough enough? Because this has happened. Uh, it's gone on too far. It's gone on too far, too long. So uh, we are going to keep the families uh, and the people affected in our thoughts and prayers throughout the rest of, you know, throughout for the foreseeable future, because this is a this is a huge tragedy. So uh, mm. we are going to switch gears to something a little different, though. Uh, we're going to be talking about the all NBA teams that were announced uh, last week. We finally got them. We had the all defensive teams, but now we got the all NBA teams. Let's just start off with the first team. Uh, your first team All NBA includes Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, Nikola Jokic, Devin Booker, and Luka Doncic. Now, this is one of the long. I think this is one of the youngest first teams since I believe it was the 1955-1956 season, mm-hmm. where all the players were about 27 or younger. At this point, it, it, it's not so. The All First NBA, the first NBA All, the f- oh my god. The all NBA first team is pretty young and it looks like the league's going to be in good hands. Second team has DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, John Moran, and Stephen Curry. Third team, Pascal Siakam, LeBron James, Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Paul, and Trey Young. Guys, just any thoughts or reactions to this, uh, to the teams list? Because, um, uh, we, we had some pretty strong opinions about this. Well, uh, you go first, Alex. Well, I mean, I, I still think that regardless of the voters and how they kind of went by position because that's how they like doing things, Embiid is eligible as a forward according to the actual – the way the voting system works and the ruling on voting for all NBA teams. Embiid counts as the as eligible as a forward. Same thing with Jokic. So Jokic, Embiid, and of course Giannis, no matter what, they're the top three MVP candidates this year, especially when when the voting was released and we saw the results. They all three should be first team. Embiid should not be second team. Tatum, I am happy with the year he had. He did have one of the top six, seven MVP seasons compared to everyone else as well in the league. But Tatum does not belong on first team over a guy like Embiid. And again, even though you could tell these voters were going based on position as well, Embiid still counts as eligible as a forward, and he should honestly be there over Tatum. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that instance. And I think that's kind of just the just focal point of having center be that big man position. Like, I I just feel like it should just be three forwards at this Mm -hmm. point because, you know, it's so interchangeable. Uh, The center position isn't what it is, you know, was uh, it's grown. And now you got like, um, you got stretch fives, which were never even close to being a thing back in the nineties. And, you know, now you got like guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Jokic who are able to hit threes without a glance. Um, but in regards to the all, the all NBA team, I I'm kind of not the biggest fan of Devin Booker being there. Uh, I would prefer jaw, especially with how, uh, that team has grown. Uh, from, you know, a team that wasn't really in contention for many years to, uh, you know, Jaw kind of putting them in the place to be, uh, you know, one of the top teams in the Western Conference. 
Uh, I, I just feel like he might be a better fit. Uh, Curry was off and on all year, so I'm fine with him being the second team. But I, I just feel like they were going so much on the young train. Um, and with Devin Booker and Phoenix being the top team in the league, they kind of had to at least put one Phoenix Suns player in the first team, I believe. So. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I will say when it comes to that part, I do understand why Booker is put over Curry because Curry did decline. He did, and then he got hurt, and it kind of hurt his chances of being a first team guy. And also, when he was MVP, our MVP candidate, you know, first half of the season as well, it kind of declined for him. But one thing I will say that I don't understand out of all these All NBA teams is how Kevin Durant can make second team. But then they're going to give LeBron 13 when LeBron, regardless of what the results were this season team wise, in terms of what they did on the floor, LeBron did a hell of a lot more and was a hell of a lot more impressive than Kevin Durant this year. Yeah, that's uh, that's one I noticed, too. It's like you're putting KD over LeBron James when LeBron James was in contention for the title for the scores title, didn't play the last couple of games that he needed to play to be eligible to be in the running, but still that's way more impressive. And then KD got hurt a lot too. LeBron was just still more impressive than Kevin Durant. So I'll give you that. Joel Embiid should have been first team. I'm not sure about where to put Devin Booker. Cause like, if you, the only guy like Connor said, you can only switch him out with John Moran and that's really it. So there's a lot of moving around possible within this list. I'm not entirely mad. Like I think they got all the right players, but I just, there's a few questionable spots where guys landed, but um, yeah, I'm, Happy they let they put Cat at least on All NBA third team. I really was hoping he would not get underrated and snubbed this year. Yeah, that was a big one too. I'm like, oh my, good, good for Cat. So, um, I mean, it's l- kind of crazy when you look at uh, l- last year's uh, All NBA team compared to this year's because there's actually a lot of players missing, um, which is pretty crazy when you know, julius randall was was everyone was excited about julius randall and now everyone's yeah. like no <laughs> even like you know dame lillard bradley beal you know kyrie rudy gobert you know, why there's a lot of players there's a well, little did, yeah did you guys see though that uh uh jalen rose said that he voted for kyrie to be on an all uh, when he was doing the voting he voted kyrie all nba and Stephen a just flipped out on him <laughs> <laughs> You voted on a guy that played what twenty something games. Yeah, not not yeah. Mister Reliable there, but uh, we got to keep this moving. So let's head into your conference finals updates. The games just wrapped up. We're gonna start with Golden State versus Dallas. This one was a pretty. I don't want to say it was a super easy series, but the Golden State Warriors made it look easy. They won that one four to one. They go on to the NBA Finals for the first time in a couple years. This is the sixth time they've been to the NBA Finals in eight seasons, which is just hugely impressive. Uh, looking forward to see what Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green can do back in the NBA Finals. We have Game 7 forced by Miami. It's do or die for the Boston Celtics. But guess what? The Celtics get it done. They win the series for to three they are heading to the nba finals for the first time since 2010 after four straight conference finals appearances they finally get over to home they now are going to face the golden state warriors and play for an nba championship we're going to toss it to break when we come back we got our what went wrong series part four and the final part don't go anywhere you want to stick around for this what's going on everyone lawrence patchman lang here President of the Sports Insanity Network, just reminding you to go to our website, www.the 
Sports Insanity Network, where you can read everyone's blogs here on the network and also find about the history of the Sports Insanity Network. And welcome back. All right. This is going to be the end of our What Went Wrong series. We've done some other teams that had high expectations. We're going to end the series with two teams that fell way short of their goals this season. We're talking about the Philadelphia 76ers and the Phoenix Suns. Both teams were at least expected to reach the NBA Finals to some degree, but they both made a second round exit. The Suns lost to the Mavericks, the 76ers lost to the Heat, and there's a lot of blame being passed around on both teams, but what actually caused their downfall? So we're going to start with Phoenix out in the West because they had the best regular season record, and they were the one seed, and they just had a lot of hype to make it back to the NBA Finals. So guys, just really, what went wrong with Phoenix this year? I, I think they were just running too much on their momentum of this past season being so good. And also too, from that finals run, uh, I think they have a lot of behind the, you know, behind the court issues uh, that, you know, never got dealt with properly like eight and um, that whole contract scenario. Also too, they had players underperform like Chris Paul in moments when they needed to shine. And I think that that was the biggest thing that went wrong. They were so confident in their regular season success in their uh, NF, or not NFL, uh, NBA uh, finals appearance last year that I think that's the reason why they came up short. Alex, yeah. your thoughts? Going off of what Connor said, all great points. When you look at how these last two seasons went for them, they made a great run to the finals, got cocky when they went up 2-0, and completely lost, blew it and lost four games in a row. This year, they go, what, 64-18? and 18. You lose 18 games all year next to you know first round. I don't care if you didn't have Devin Booker for a couple games in the first round. You don't lose two games like that to a team with a losing record. If you're the, if you, especially you're a team that only lost 18 games all year and that's supposed to be the best team in the NBA. That's one. Then the next series, I mean, I will say Mavericks had a lot of momentum. Luca just would not stop. He put up 40, he put up 40 points in what, like three, four games. It just mm-hmm. was incredible. He was absolutely insane. But what really happened was, not only did the whole momentum thing affect them, it's like, and then there's, you know, the stories that Chris Paul was injured that apparently, like after, like two days after they lost game seven, apparently you found Chris Paul was dealing with a quad injury the whole time. And you have that. And then game seven, though, was such an embarrassment. One of the most embarrassing losses ever in NBA history, in the playoffs ever, especially for a one seed to get blown out like that. Chris Paul didn't show up. Devin Booker didn't show up. One guy I will say is Aiton was consistent for most of the playoffs. I can't blame him when it came to the playoffs. Maybe the contract dispute and everything the whole year kind of took away from certain highlights of their season. But, you know, Aiton I couldn't blame in the playoffs. For the most part, there was no answer to stopping him. But the guys who needed to step up like Chris Paul, like Devin, Chris Paul, you're one of the best defensive players in the history of this league when you actually look at his resume and he just collapsed. Devin Booker was nowhere to be seen in game seven. And then, you know, Bridges kind of just got exposed completely, especially when he was put on Luka. He just kept getting exposed. And of course, there is no answer to stop Luka when he's when he's hot and his momentum's carrying. But they really just let it all get to them this year. And 
you know, they, they dealt with injuries when it, when it mattered most. They started dealing with injuries late in the season. We saw Chris Paul go down and then Devin Booker stepped up, but then Devin Booker went down and Chris Paul, when he came back, stepped up. And the playoffs, apparently, Chris Paul was hurt like usual. So you have the same exact excuses every year for Chris Paul. Devin Booker showed that he's not at that level yet to be like Luka Doncic and become a hero just like that, or Jimmy Butler, like the guys we've seen go off this postseason. He is not capable of that just yet, ready for that level. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, they choked completely, and I got to give credit for the Mavericks. They got an incredible win in that series, and, you know, kudos to them, but the Suns really were an embarrassment in the playoffs. Yeah, it was just... It was hard to watch the Suns struggle because, like, they were good all season long. But we gave the Jazz a lot of crap for the season they had last year where they were, like, the top seed. And, you know, they didn't play well in the playoffs. And here's the Suns in the exact same boat that they were in. Only, you know, the Jazz didn't make the NBA Finals, you know, the year prior to that. They haven't made it even that far at that point. Like, the Suns were just in the NBA Finals. And you would think that the Suns would at least get back to the conference finals, but... It, it was just it was just an embarrassing collapse to see against the Mavericks, who they don't have a lot of like star players per se. Like they have Luka Doncic, obviously, like he's the main guy in the team. But if you look at the rest of the roster, these are a lot of guys that are like they just fight hard. And that was the issue. Says I don't think the Suns took them as seriously as they should have. And you know it allowed Luka to go off for forty points. And it's like, what answers do you have for a guy who's about to go off for forty? And the rest of the team's kind of following his lead and you're not playing your best. Like the fact that uh, Mikel Bridges got exposed, he was the defensive player of the year nominee. He was a finalist and he got exposed against Luca like all series long. It it was just really hard to watch. Like the Suns just completely, uh, completely collapsed like that. So let's talk about what they can do, do to improve for next season. Cause there's a lot of variables going around. We already mentioned it, the, uh, Aiden situation with the contracts and stuff, the Chris Paul situation. So, uh, Connor, I'll start with you. What is something they can do? They can do to improve for next season. First, uh, I, I gotta say they improve on the four spot. Um, you know, more depth, at you know, forward and center, will help the team a lot um, when they're playing teams that uh, don't really have, you know, that good of a center. You know, we saw with how Kevin Looney's been doing so well with Golden State getting boards and stuff, the, the power a good center can bring to a team or a good power forward is still undeniable. So I think that's a huge thing that they have to do, and I think, what they could do was get bring in a similar guy that might go for a cheaper cost than what eight and will go for. And that would be like Mitchell Robinson, who's kind of a similar type of player. Um, but you would probably be able to get him on a slightly less um, contract. Uh, so I think that would be a possible good fit for the Suns. Uh, but yeah, I think that's what they have to address right there. The four and the five. Uh, Alex, your thoughts on what the Suns should do to improve for next season? Sure. So, I mean, four and five, I agree with Connor on what he was saying. He makes some great points. And then on top of that, I really think they really have to start focusing on the fact that 
Chris Paul could play another couple of years, but you need to bring in a new young guard at least to get ready. And Chris Paul can, you know, be a true mentor to him so that he's getting ready to take over. Because Chris Paul, though he made an all NBA third team and, you know, he did get a lot of credit this year when he did play, but then he collapsed in the playoffs, of course. But Chris Paul is showing his age. It's not like LeBron showing he can play in his 40s. Chris Paul can't really do that. He He's really showing his age. He's kind of on the back, really about to decline over these next years. And I really think you need to bring in a young guard, whether it's in the draft or a trade for someone, you know, that's probably within right around their second year. And, you know, put him behind Chris Paul for a couple of years, and then it'll be a great bridge and develop that guy completely so that he can take over once those two years go by. Because Chris Paul said he's going to come back next year, and there's probably a chance we'd see Chris Paul back for another year after that because he might not want to quit. But the Suns need to be prepared for that just in case because Chris Paul, injuries have caught up with him a lot when it comes to late in the season, but... We also could get a point where Chris Paul could just be injured almost like the next couple of years easily in the beginning, middle, end of the season. Like that's where we're getting at with him, I feel. On top of that, I really think that, you know, the GM needs to really be aggressive and bring in more defensive talent, especially three and D guys. When I look at this team and what they're able to do, I see a team that has lacked when it comes to three-point shooting. They really have. They actually need to really build that back up this offseason and also bring in defense talent because Chris Paul is declining. You need to bring in some more defense talent. And this team, if you really look, they really aren't deep. They rely so heavily on their on that starting five and their all-star power. And even then, it's, you know, it showed this playoffs. It's not enough. They, the team kind of lacks when you look at they're not deep at all. They need to really build that bench with three-point shooters. And at the same time, for guys that are going to take over for Chris Paul in the future, and, you know, a guy that's going to come in at the, maybe replace, you know, Crowder at the four, because Crowder's also 31, and he's not playing extremely well at all. So when I really look at it, you need, you need a guy, you need a couple key young defensive talents right there, because... That's where the Suns are going to be able to thrive is off of the playing the three and what's their three and D guys. That's what their game plan should be over the next few years is to focus on guys like that. Yeah, I, I don't think I could really add anything more. Um, the one thing is like you got to address the Aiden situation. Are you moving on from mm-hmm. him or are you going to pay him what he wants? Because at this point, Aiden proved even in this series, despite the, you know, despite him losing to the series, he was consistent which is, you know, hard to do in the playoffs is to be consistent. But then we see guys go like supernova and stuff. But I I think Aiton, if he wants to get paid more, he's going to leave. And you can't change that about him. But you need to figure out if you're going to move on from him or not. And then to find uh, mostly a point guard, I would say a guard, but may- mainly a point guard to replace Chris Paul in the next couple of years, because I... I feel like we're going to see a very sharp decline in Chris Paul. And then by the time he's like done in the league, he's not going to look like the guy he has. He has been for the past couple seasons. So I think that's really going to be a big one. This draft, uh, it's pretty big man focused. Uh, there are some good guards, but I don't think they might. They probably won't be able to grab one unless they trade up, which might be hard. It might almost be easier for them to find a trade in the offseason and be like, bring in a younger guy who's like, you know, on the bench that shouldn't be on the bench, but like, you know, you need someone in the next couple of years and they're almost ready and they need a mentor. That's the, that's the strategy to bring them in. But let's, uh, let's get, talk about the other team that we mentioned, the Philadelphia 76ers. They fell short in the second round. Um, 
there was a lot of blame being passed around. People were blaming Joel Embiid's injuries and not being there in the first two games. People were blaming James Harden. Uh, people were just blaming coaching. Uh, guys, just uh, was I started with uh, Connors. So Alex, what were wrong? What went wrong with Philly this year? I mean, you know, Philly had a, one of the best narratives this year, and the way they came back second half of the season, they really fought strong, and Embiid had an incredible season, but. What went wrong in the second round was, like people said, Embiid wasn't there first two games. But also, when Embiid got back, he was playing his heart out, and he got abused out there. They were just, Miami really took advantage of Embiid those last two games. And they really just, every time I kept looking at the screen, I always felt like Embiid was on the ground. Like, they were really bodying him like crazy, and they really were taking advantage of him. But Embiid still did what he could, and I really think that, the problem kind of relies on the fact that James Harden didn't show up those first two games. He really didn't. And then he really didn't show up that series. But I don't want to blame James Harden completely. I think it's really because James Harden has kind of gotten used to the idea that I'm not a guy that needs to score 35 a game anymore, 36, 30, 28 a game. I can get away with scoring 20 to 22 points a game, which is still a lot, and also dish out the ball to Embiid for 10, 11 assists a game. That's the kind of player that Harden's at right now. And I really think he's gotten too comfortable to being, you know, like the Robin to Embiid's Batman this whole after that trade. I think like he got kind of comfortable with that situation that when it came time for him having to step up, he wasn't ready for the opportunity because he's not the same that type of hero scorer that we remember three years ago. So I really think that that's what happened when it came to Harden. But honestly, it was really just injuries and then the issues with Harden when it came to the second round. I really think that if Embiid was not injured those first two games, I I still am convinced that the 76ers probably would have won that series. Yeah, that that's a really good point that you brought up there about Embiid's injuries. Uh, Connor, your thoughts on what went wrong with Philly? I, I mean, that, that was a huge problem is like, once again, is the availability of Embiid. He stayed healthy like all the season and then you know, once it gets into an intense uh, battle, you know, those two first games played a huge part in that series. Uh, it makes you wonder if they were, you know, to have him there, how differently the series would have gone at the beginning. Uh, I, I also got to blame um, uh, Doc Rivers a little bit too, just because, you know, this was a season where, you know, you get put in a position with the, such a great team with Philly. This is probably one of the best teams he's coached since that team that won the championship with Boston. Uh, and I, I just feel like he let the pressure take a hold of him like he normally does. And, you know, for a guy that's known to be a constant choker, he had that team come into a situation where on the final game of their season, they didn't play at all like they should have been. They, you know, they were getting manhandled for most of the game. Uh, I think that just says a lot about, you know, him as a coach. And is he really a coach that can win you a championship in today's NBA? Yeah, that's a, that's a big part, too. It's like we – I don't want to say we saw a classic Doc Rivers, but we did because, like, for the past couple of teams – for the Clippers, when he was on there, they choked away a lot of series leads. So it's uh, it's tough to perform 
in that situation, but you have to step up as a coach. But I, I think the issue with Philly is like, as much as you want to blame Harden or Embiid, I mean, there's still other guys that need to step up on the team as well. Like we saw Tyrese Maxey trying his best, but he he's still so young to the league. He hasn't fully developed into this player that we saw. He took a leap this year, but he didn't quite get to that. Like I would say like, um, like really like true starter role. Like he was a starter and he played really well. And then when Harden came in, he played exponentially better. And I'm hoping that, they're able to bring Harden back so that they can run that experiment back between Maxi and Harden as that guard combo. But there was just so many factors going against the 76ers this year. Uh, as much as I want to say, I was like totally surprised they didn't make it to the conference finals. I'm, I'm not because of all the things that were just against them this year, but let's get into what they can do to improve for next season because uh, there's a good, there's a good chance that like, there's a lot of shifting going around. So uh, Alex, um, what do the 76ers need to do for next season? Yeah, so first thing is, no matter what, stay true to James Harden. I know after that series, too, there's a lot of people talking about, oh, you got to get it. Like, there's a lot of, you know, crazy NBA fans out there like Trey James Harden, Trey James Harden, you know. No, don't don't move on from James Harden. But, you know, James Harden, this isn't Russell Westbrook where the experiment's kind of failing there. James Harden is still extremely talented and can do a lot for that team. He showed it. He struggled in the second round, sure, but he's still an all-star caliber player and still has that all-NBA talent that he always has. He's just kind of changed his role over the past couple of years, and I can't blame him for that. But that being said, stay true to Harden, but the one thing that I really think is you have to move on from Tobias Harris. You have to. He's just, you know, Jimmy said it best. Once that series was over, he goes, Tobias Harris over me? You know, after that series over, you hear Jimmy talking a lot of crap and, you know, and and beat after the game too. also tweeted out saying, I can't believe we let a guy like Jimmy go, even though I'm pretty sure Embiid also was one of the reasons why Jimmy also kind of wanted to go, too. But, you know, that's a that's a story for a different day. But um, but with Tobias, Tobias really hasn't done much these past couple of years. He has really declined from that all star kind of caliber level. It was a few years back, but. If you can trade Tobias, I think what you should do is you trade Tobias, maybe another player pick, and you can bring in a guy like Buddy Heald or even bring in a combo of Buddy Heald and Brogdon. Because honestly, you know, that team, they do need some more pieces when it comes to depth because though you have guys like Maxi there, you have guys like Thibel, of Thibel's coming into his own now too, and Maxi's starting to, but the rest of their younger pieces are still young and not really developed. You know, you go after guys that are actually still developed and can play a vital role in your, especially your offensive game plan, because guys like Buddy Heal can actually contribute a lot. He, the only reason Buddy Heal declined a little bit this year was because they didn't, he, his minutes were taken away from him for most of the season when he was from the gang. So I can't blame him for that. And I think you either go for a guy like Buddy Heal or Brogdon, really boost up not only your bench, but also your depth and really help those young guys develop more while they give them time. You let guys like Buddy Heal and Brogdon come in. Or I've heard this rumor a lot, and I think if they really want to go aggressive, they traded Tobias, Maxi would have to be involved with this, and probably a pick or two, probably two picks, maybe. I don't know with how crazy trades have been, and bring in a developed all-star player like Bradley Beal. Honestly, if you really think about it, 
I would go with the idea of bringing in uh, of, of bringing in Buddy Hield and Brogdon just because you could get away with not having to give up Maxi and a couple picks. But if that's the move you go, then you're going to match up Harden with Beal. You're gonna you also you're gonna have to probably move on from Danny Green too, also because he's 34 years old and the kid can't really play anymore. He's not a kid actually, <laughs> so that's the problem. And you know, and then you know, you bring in Thibel at the three, make him like one of the main guys, and then of course. You know, you're going to have to lack at the four. Maybe you move Paul Reed kind of to the four and maybe he can do something. But then you have NBA five. I would love to see them go aggressive a little bit, too, and bring a guy like Bradley because Bradley Beal is a guy who could easily score 28, 30 points a game. He, I think, would fit so well with the trio uh, becoming a key guy in a trio of him, Harden, and Embiid in that game plan. I really think it would benefit extremely well from that. And also when you look at Doc Rivers game plan, Doc is the kind of guy who wants, once the ball is shot, he wants guys to quickly get back. He doesn't want guys crashing the boards. And I feel like bringing a guy like Bradley Beal would be perfect for something like that, especially such an efficient shooter like him. But that's just my idea on what they could possibly do this offseason to improve. I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. Connor, your thoughts on what Philly needs to do? Uh my friend Alex put it pretty good perspective. You know, like they got to add a shooter and that's an important thing. And they got to establish a better bench uh, without, you know, and we saw this with many different teams. We saw it with Miami during their, um, you know, run with the big three. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw it with, you know, the Lakers right now. We see, we've seen it with a lot of teams that have a lot of great stars, but without a bench, or at least a couple good pieces on a bench, you're not going to be able to compete with any of the teams. Uh, that's one of the positive parts with the teams that, you know, we have in the championship, you know, a great example is the Warriors. They had those, you know, they had those superstars, you know, with Curry, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Over the last couple of years, they've been able to build up a solid bench and draft guys like Jordan Poole and uh, Moses Moody and, uh, you know, a few pieces like Kevin Looney. Uh, I, you know, I think that's uh, really shows a lot about how to build a successful team. So I think that's one thing they got to improve on, uh, you know, as a whole. And, you know, if you can get rid of Tobias Harris and get another star player, that would be phenomenal but i don't think you can possibly get a star player with his you know you gotta you got the contract of tobias harris which can you know work well with a superstar to get one but the problem is he doesn't have that talent anymore and nobody's gonna need for that much uh so i think realistically getting like a buddy healed uh brogdon like alex was mentioning is more realistic than maybe getting a bradley beal uh, but we'll have to see. I, I personally think that this team is hungry for a championship. And I mean, the last time they were in the championship or, or in the finals, uh, MB was only seven. Uh, and we were youngsters mm-hmm. ourselves. So <laughs> I, I just feel like as a team, they got to try to just improve. And also too, uh, one thing that's underrated too is Embiid has to step up as a leader. I've been seeing these posts the last couple of days about him, like joking about, you know, becoming the enemy and joining Miami and teaming up with Jimmy Butler. Like, dude, 
just stop. You just make yourself look more pathetic by posting that type of stuff. You know, you, you know, you didn't push your team to get to the position where Miami is. You know, I, I think he has to step up as a leader. Yeah. The, the, the worst part about that is that he did step up and then, you know, he kind of reverted back to his old personality. Yeah. Because he did step up in the regular season as a leader, kind of rallied that team together, showed to be a true team leader. And then come that time, just like you said, next thing you know, he kind of reverted back to his own selfish ways and kind of acted like a jackass. But yeah. Yeah, I think um, for the 76ers, like, uh, I don't think getting rid of Maxi right now would be the best move considering how well he plays off of Harden and Embiid. So I don't... And, considering that they do need youth on the team. I don't think that would be the right move necessarily, but definitely moving pieces around like Tobias Harrison, like moving on from, um, from, from green, like Danny green. There's just pieces where it's like, they need to move on. Like Tobias, like I said, Tobias Harris, Danny green, uh, they need depth in the four and the fives. Like they struggled. They had the on, they had, they had Drummond earlier in the season and it felt like they had a better, uh, depth for that position than they did going into the postseason because they had DeAndre Jordan. They picked him up when he was a free agent, but they need depth too. That that's the issue. You don't now. You don't need superstars to win. You need a bench to win because we saw that with the Mavericks in the conference finals. They got there on their bench alone. The only thing that was lacking was like an additional shooter, which is a superstar that they need to work on. But I think for the Seventy Sixers, you need to rebuild, restructure your bench a little bit but also like have depth where you need it too. So like you need a guy that can come onto the court that, you know, it's not Joel Embiid. He's not a superstar, but he's a defensive player. Like you need another defensive minded player out there, especially at like the four position, like where Harris was. I'm, I'm all for getting rid of Tobias Harris. I'm not totally sold on like bringing in another superstar. Cause we saw how like big threes just don't work anymore in this current league. They did for when Miami was running. And then when the warriors ran too, but we see now that like benches get you to the championship matchup. So it's like, so I, I think it's just time to move on from some older pieces, maybe like trade in, get some different pieces and especially draft some good pieces too. in this year's draft. Uh, with that being said, we're going to toss it a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the NBA finals. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Adopt us kids presents what to expect when you're expecting a teenager learning the lingo goat G O A T acronym stands for greatest of all time as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner they're my fave dad you're the goat you don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same visit adoptuskids.org brought to you by the u.s department of health and human services adopt u.s kids and the ad council and welcome back all right guys it is finally time to talk about the NBA Finals. We have finally reached the point in the season where we have made it to the championship matchup. The NBA Finals matchup is all set. We're very excited to have the series go underway. Let's talk for a moment about the Warriors. This team has made it to the last, made it to the final six times in the last eight seasons. I'm guessing they're going to be the team to beat this year. Yeah, I mean, the Warriors are such a dominant team and it really shows with how you know consistent they've been i mean since we've been in college uh they have been to the playoffs or not the playoffs the finals basically every year mm -hmm. um and 
it, it just kind of shows the dominance of Seth Curry. Um, and really, it makes you wonder if he wins the championship this year and also wins the finals MVP, does that solidify him as, you know, being that top 10 range eventually? Will we see that? You know, it's it's very interesting. And, man, this Warriors team is something else. Oh, this this Warriors team is incredible. It's so deep. It really is. You know, this is just an extremely talented team. And the crazy part is you have guys like Kaminga who aren't even developed yet. They're 19 yeah. years old, and they have a chance to win the championship young. And then next thing you know, next few years, they could, he could really develop and become a true star in this league. So I just love that too. But, no, this Warriors team is just incredible. And when you look at the way the past couple of years have been for them, trying to after the, going to five straight finals, you know, and two years worth without Clay and Steph when he finally gets back, not this year, the year before, and has a great season too. They miss out on the playoffs. You know, they made it to the play-in tournament. But, you know, it's been a couple-year struggle to get back to this point. But now that Clay is healthy, Steph is completely has not lost a step in his game at all. Wiggins is staying consistent with getting his 17 a game. Jordan Poole, absolutely incredible. Probably should have been a most improved player, but, you know, kind of screwed him over on that one. And then Draymond, especially on the defensive end, just doing his thing. This team is just stacked, and they really want to prove that that they're the team. They they have proven that they're the team to be right now, and they want to prove that they belong in some of that. This dynasty is not over yet. It's oh. it's not over. It's a new chapter. It's basically yeah. what I'm hearing now. It's like we rebuild ourselves, rebranded. We're going to be, you know, be around for a few more years at least. But um, I I think for the Warriors, they are the team to beat. They got the most experience out of uh, between them and their opponent. Like they have way more experience in the finals. But then again, it doesn't matter. They they had some of the most experience heading into this playoff season, heading into this postseason. So it didn't really matter because the Warriors were going to be the team to beat if they got far enough. And they did. So now they are, I believe, the favorites to go into this. But guys, Steph Curry has been electric for the most part this postseason. But what other players need to step it up for Golden State? I, I think Jordan Poole needs to, uh, you know, continue to be strong. Uh, he, he was such an important part to where uh, we see this Golden State team being. Uh, he has risen as a superstar. It, it really reminds me of the Tyler Hero run uh, during uh, when we saw, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years ago with Miami. I, I feel like he's a more complete player than Tyler Hero is. Uh, but I, I think that I do need him to be, you know, that dominant scorer that we saw in the first couple of games of the playoffs. And, you know, if you look at how they've done it the last couple, you know, games, Golden State, their point totals aren't really as high as they normally are. You know what I mean? Uh, and I feel like, a huge part of that is because they need to get, you know, Jordan Poole more involved. Uh, he's been a very effective shooter. So I, I think that's what they have to do uh, to win. And he's the one that has to step up. Alex, who do you think needs to really step it up for Golden State? Uh, you know, that was a great player to pick, Connor, really is. And I'm going to go with someone that's it's similar in the same situation that they have to remain consistent is Andrew Wiggins. When I really look at what he did 
in the conference finals. Also, this is a guy who averages like 16, 17 a game throughout the playoffs. Same thing he did all season. He's just being consistent. But Wiggins put Luke on poster. I love, I love that. I, I remember the couple, a few nights ago when he did that. I was just fun to see him do that. But, you know, Wiggins, same thing with like Connor said about Jordan Poole is like Wiggins also is a guy that is averaging around 16, 17 a game in these playoffs. And he's shooting, I'm pretty sure, 48% from field and 35% from three. He's playing very well, but guys like Poole, guys like Wiggins, they need to, they're part of that depth. They really are. Those guys, because if Curry is getting locked up or if Clay, who has really bounced back since coming back from his injury, if they get locked up, you really have to look to guys like Wiggins and Poole to step up because they're the guys who have been so consistent in putting up a strong showing this season. You need them to not lose momentum because if they lose momentum, then you're going to see when Jordan Poole is getting arrested and Wiggins is out there or vice versa. If they slack off at any point, you could see whether you could see them losing their lead in this final in the finals. You could see them losing their their solid lead on teams because they're they're the key guys when it comes to when they're leading the benches out there too. Whether they switch at times, they're really solid in terms of leading the depth too of that team. So I really think that if they are not consistent, that we're going to see some struggle when it comes to putting up high scoring performances throughout each game, and we're going to see them be in a tougher defensive battle than a high scoring offensive battle. Yeah, that that's really a good point too. It's like they're going to it's going to be a tough matchup no matter what. So guys who've been consistent before need to stay consistent. This is now not the time to lose your consistency. Uh both of those guys are really good choices cuz like they, they they both need to step up in different ways like Poole coming off the bench, Wiggins just staying consistent. Uh, for me, I have Draymond Green, and the only thing I have is don't follow out because <laughs> this is this is he. They've been here before. Green should know better, but he has just been so he's been getting so many fouls, and I'm like, dude, you cannot follow out in the NBA Finals, and you know, do something dumb like follow out with like ten minutes left in the fourth quarter. You know, like you can't be doing that now like you have literally the best of the best going up against so like you're you only need four games to win to win the nba finals so draymond green just keep playing defense but for for the love of your team don't fall out that's the only thing i'm going to say <laughs> well you you'd think after what happened when they blew a 3-1 lead and how when he also had was suspended for a game that he would learn his lesson and not be a hothead out there but he was kind of in the conference finals and like you said zach that you remember the game, oh, I forget which game it was, like game three or game four, he fouled out with two and a half minutes left, mm -hmm. and it was a dumb foul too. He didn't have to reach in. It was just on the inbound pass. It was There was no reason to reach in, and he just made a bonehead move, and then he gets hot and heated with the ref, and he really just kind of acts like the Draymond. We always know he is at times, but, you know, you're right. You can't, These are, those were the mistakes, especially defensively, for how much of an impact he has on the defensive end. These are the kinds of mistakes that could cost them the championship because he did cost them a championship quite a few years ago when he was suspended for a game because of how much of a hothead and idiot he can be. Mm -hmm. yeah. that, that's all I'm saying. Keep a cool level head, be consistent, and just score points and play defense. That's all I can really say about the Golden State Warriors. But All right, let's get to your Eastern Conference champions. It's been a long road, but the Boston Celtics are finally being rewarded for all their hard work with a trip to the NBA Finals. It's the first time since 2010. They will have to face an uphill battle against the Warriors. So what does Boston need to do in order to secure the title? 
You go first, Alex. Honestly, when it comes to this series, this is this might be a, a really great series. I really think it's going to be. But what Boston really needs to do is they really need that defense to keep stepping up. They have stepped up in tough situations this year. And going up against one of the best, especially one of the highest scoring teams in the league in the Warriors, when they're all healthy, especially too, you're really going to need your perimeter D to show up in this series. And I really think guys like Marcus Smart need to step up huge. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Defense is going to play a huge factor. But but I also think what they got to do is just run on that pure energy of just uh, kind of being the underdogs. Because in a sense, they have been an underdog. Uh, you know, we were rolling them out back in the beginning of the year, you know, when they were a 10 seed and we were saying, oh, you got to trade all the pieces. They moved all the way up to the two seed. They just took down the Heat, who were the one seed. I, I think that's what they have to kind of rely off of, you know, try to go off of, hey, we're the new dynasty, you know, and the final step is to go past uh, probably the best dynasty we've seen in the last 20 plus years uh, with the Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that is what they're going to have to rely on their defensive front. And also just trying to rely on that underdog mentality to get them uh, past the Warriors here. Yeah, they're going to need a lot of that uh, grit that they were showing throughout the whole postseason. A lot of great defensive plays are going to have to be made, especially between, you know, your defensive player of the year and then Al Horford's been playing great defense too. really shut down Giannis. If you could shut down Giannis, you could shut down anybody in the league. It's really tough to do that. So I think... Boston is Boston is like defense wins championships. So I think Boston's going to have to play some of the best defense they played all season long to slow down the Warriors. Cause it's really hard to stop Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, you know, Draymond Green when they all, all three of them get going. But if you could slow them down just long enough, you might be able to win games. So let's talk about Jason Tatum. He's been the main man for the squad, but what other players need to step it up in this series? Because this is, this is crucial uh we know that like one play can make like the whole difference in a game like lebron james block way back when when he blocked mm-hmm. a shot against Igodawa. like like what what players really need to step it up in this series oh i, I would have to go with al horford here just because of the absolute tear that we've seen from uh kevin looney uh over these playoffs he's been a really important part a very underrated part of the Warriors' success in this playoffs. Uh, he had a game where he had 22 rebounds. Uh, he's had multiple games where he's been a double-digit rebounder, uh, and I think that's going to be a huge case. Uh, so that's why Al Horford has to have his best rebounding, um, you know, hands, I guess you could say, uh, for this matchup, just because, you know, rebounds are such an important part. And if you're giving, let's say, the Warriors multiple chances and Looney's catching a bunch of offensive rebounds, then that just gives Steph Curry, who's a guy who we know does not miss. It feels like no matter what angle the shot is or how many people are on him, if you give if you give the Warriors two, three shots at it, especially Steph Curry, then they're probably gonna go in eventually. So I feel like that's gonna be a huge part. Uh and we need Horford to have a huge game. Um, for the Boston Celtics to really 
uh, get the dub for this uh, series. Alex, uh, your character, your your players for uh, who needs to step it up. Honestly, I I was gonna pick just one guy, but I just I'll briefly talk about two here is because you know Jalen Brown is a player I highlighted. You remember Zach last week when we were talking about uh, talking about the conference finals and who needs to step it up big in the crucial points of the game. And I said Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, I feel like has gotten at times lost in the dust a little bit because. You know, every all the focus is on Tatum, and then all of a sudden, all the focus is on guys like Horford because Horford started playing this playoffs like it was seven years ago. He really did, and then all of a sudden, Marcus Smart comes back, and Robert Williams comes back when they're healthy. And next thing you know, defensively, everyone is looking at them. But Jalen Brown really needs to step up and keep scoring, probably like 23, 24 points a game. He really needs to be like that because he is the perfect second in command for that team after Tatum. And he's the guy when Tatum gets locked up, especially in the crucial moments in this series, which I'm sure it's going to be some tight, close games. When Tatum gets locked up, you're going to be looking to Jalen Brown to take that next shot after him. And honestly, Brown needs to remain consistent. And the next guy I'm just going to highlight real quick is Marcus Smart, just because from a defensive standpoint, you know, winning Depoy says a lot, not only about you, but also about, the fact that this is the first guard since Gary Payton to win. And also this shows how you are that part of that elite group of perimeter guards when it comes to uh, defensive perimeter guards and how much you can contribute in locking down guys like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, or even Wiggins and Poole. Like he needs to be there at all times and help lead that defense. And if he lets it slip through a couple he lets a couple plays slip by him which again it's going to be tough you're playing against Steph Curry and Klay Thompson it's going to happen but if they start slacking off defensively especially around the perimeter then next thing you know they're going to find themselves down big and it's all going to fall on smart in terms of defense there yeah that's a big thing too it's like I was on the fence between Brown and uh, Smart uh i'm glad you mentioned both of those guys so like smart is a you're he's the de- defensive player of the year like you have to step it mm-hmm. up and play some like terrific perimeter defense because you're going to need it against like curry and thompson especially in pool because if any of those guys get it hot all of a sudden it be you know your whole game plan gets thrown out the window so i think that's a really big one both of those guys can step it up i'm really looking at jalen brown though like i feel like if if Tatum's not taking the shot, Brown's taking the shot, and I feel like mm-hmm. he he really has to step it up. It's like you gotta you gotta like not only take high quality shots, you gotta make high quality shots too, because there will be times where it's like Tate there will be a screen setup or something, and Brown you gotta convert on those shots. I'm looking at that too. It's like we know Tatum can drop forty or fifty whenever he feels like or when he has to. Brown needs to contribute at least twenty to help you know. Uh, help increase the productivity of the offense and we know that like the warriors like doesn't they're not always known like draymond green is like the best defensive player in that team and that's not that's not a knock on anybody else on the team but i feel like Mm -hmm. brown can take advantage of some misman of some mismanage um uh plays and stuff and uh rotations like brown's gonna have to play smart basketball and he's gonna have to make shots that's how i feel about it because like with the Warriors, it's like you're gonna have to play great de- great defense. That's obvious, but I feel like you need to make a lot of mismatch happen, 
And Brown is a really good guy where if he has a mismatch, he's going after the hoop. He's going after the basket. He's attacking. And that's what I really need to see out of him in this series. It's like taking advantage of a mismatch and going after the basket. But um, guys, really quickly, who wins this series and becomes NBA champions, Golden State or Boston? Uh, Connor, I'll let you go first on this one. Uh, even though I'm kind of breaking a tradition, well, not a tradition, but kind of a thing here, because my girlfriend and I, we went to see the Rams-Ravens game. The Rams won the Super Bowl this year. Uh, we saw Boston versus the Wizards early in the year, so that would be cool to have both of the champions of this year uh, be at, you know, games we saw in person. Uh, but I'm taking the Warriors here in seven, uh, just because I think they're the more complete team, and I feel like Steph Curry is going to show up like he normally does in these moments. And I think he'll win his first finals MVP. All right, Alex, your thoughts. You know, this was a really tough back and forth decision for me, but I honestly think that the Celtics are going to be the ones to pull this out in seven, you know, on top of the underdog mentality that Connor mentioned earlier, I really think that out of everyone we saw in these playoffs, the Celtics really were, the perfect team to match up with the Warriors out of anyone on paper and on what we saw talent-wise on these teams and their depth because the Celtics can compete. They don't need Jason Tatum to have to put up 40, 50 points just to win. They can also, he can put up 35, 40 points and you can still have other guys like Brown put up 20 and Horford put up 18 and still do his job defensively. Mark Smart lock it down defensively too. He doesn't need to go full full-on superhero mode to win this the win this series. He's going to win finals MVP in this series if they do win, definitely. But this team is so well-balanced, and after all the adversity they face this year, they are one of the, I think with the Warriors, they are, they definitely display the definition of team, of playing team ball out there, and I really think it's going to be hard to compete with. Yeah, I think, um, I think for me, Boston gets in seven as well. So I'm going Boston on this series. I think the difference between, uh, let's just say Miami, for instance, because like they didn't make it there. Miami was not the best balanced team out there. Boston really Mm -hmm. is a well-balanced team. And that creates, like I mentioned before, a lot of mismatches on the offensive side. Like it will create opportunities for Boston to get ahead and they can go on like a 12-0 run like in less than like a couple minutes. So I think for Boston is going to be, you know, you don't need hero ball necessarily, but you do need like guys to step it up. It's like, all right, Tatum's not playing the best next guy up. That's the mentality. And I think Boston, for the most part, can do that. The The Warriors are in an interesting spot, though, because it's like they have a good bench. But I think Boston just has the better rotations going on and they have some great star players. So I think it's going to be Boston. It's going to be a very close series. Uh, It might come down to the last whoever has the ball last in game seven. I really that's how I feel about this series and it's going to be a really great matchup to see like kind of the old dynasty versus like something Boston's been building to for a a long time. It feels like, so I think, I think for the Celtics, like I feel like they come out on top, but they're going to have to fight uh, to finale every inch of the way. All right. So that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Let's follow us on social media again, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you have notifications turned on for new episodes because we're going to be watching closely in the NBA finals and also starting our draft coverage. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you all next time.
sound right, boy.